Hello and welcome to Rituals of Our Mothers. I'm your host, Amy Jones, and this is episode one of season one. Today I'll be sharing my story with you and the story of how Rituals of Our Mothers came about. In 2019, I had a hysterectomy, a super cervical hysterectomy, and that basically translates as I decided to keep my cervix. So that meant that they needed to come in through my low abdomen, so it's basically like having a cesarean, um, where your low abdomen is cut open and they remove my uterus that way. Um, It was one of the most horrific experiences of my life, though I have zero regrets making that decision. I was suffering on a regular basis and basically really only living for about a week to a week and a half out of every month in my true self, where I was feeling good and feeling normal and stable And basically, three weeks out of the month, I was a completely different person. And the pain had gotten so bad and was so debilitating that I went into the doctor's office and basically said, I'm either needing to go on disability or I'm not going to make it. And... Truly, some months the pain was so horrific that I didn't care if I lived or died. It was just an incredible amount of pain. And so my first surgery leading up to the hysterectomy was a laparoscopic surgery to go in and see if I had endometriosis. And the diagnosis was that I did not. But my doctor believed that I had adenomyosis, which is where the endometrial cells find their way into the uterine wall, so the lining of the uterus. And so the only way to eliminate adenomyosis is to to 100% eliminate it is to have a hysterectomy and at 40 I realized the ship of children had sailed and I wasn't going to hold my breath to hope that that was coming down the pipeline and at that time in my life and truly for a quite a bit of my life I wasn't even sure I wanted to have children in the first place and so I had come to this decision and this conclusion with full gusto and my whole heart um I certainly did not know what I was getting myself into um the healing process was extremely difficult the body dysmorphia, the feelings of complete isolation and disfiguration and the aftermath uh, was unreal. And so I, I can only imagine that going through that is masked when you actually have a cesarean. It's masked by the joy of having the baby at the bosom and the deep and profound love that is unmatchable for a new mama 
Um, I, on the other hand, and those women that have had that same incision and, and didn't have the joy of having a child brought into their arms, um, it's, it's really a lot to sit with and, um, and very, very intense to say the least. So that being said, uh, in the beginning of my healing process from the hysterectomy, I was unable to take a bath. But once my body sealed itself and I was on the road to recovery, I remember the flat that I was living in only had a shower. And I was standing in the shower and leaning up against the wall and thinking, I have I have to have a bath. I have to move to a place that has a bathtub. And I thought, gosh, this is it was such a strong feeling. There was it was like no turning back. That's it. And I I didn't really understand why that was coming to me and then almost like divine intervention, my mind just absolutely went blank. And I had this memory of my mother taking baths all the time. And I thought, oh, right, of course. I grew up watching my my mother take baths. Of course I would want to take baths too. It's just something I grew up with. And, and then I thought, but that just, okay, why does this still feel so important to me? And then the word ritual popped into my head. And I said out loud, it was a ritual of my mother. And then I said, rituals of our mothers. And it dawned on me in that moment that when my mother was taking a bath, it was probably one of the only times that I felt like she was accessible, present, and my mother. And what I mean by that is I grew up in an addict and alcoholic home. And anyone that is an adult child of an alcoholic and has grown up in an addict or alcoholic home knows that presence, presence is more precious than gold. It is what we are craving. It is what we are yearning for. It was what we want more than anything. And it was during those times when my mother would take a bath that I would be able to access her and her as my mother, as another human being, as someone that was trying to heal, whether consciously or not, from their own trauma. And as an adult woman, I realized, right, my mother is also the daughter of a woman whom she struggled in relationship with. And so for the most part, my mother and I, especially during my teenage years, had an extremely volatile relationship, very difficult. Um, I was so angry at her, and, um, and rightfully so. I... I longed for her 
to be present. I longed for her to love me and to accept me for who I was and who I was becoming. And I'm sure if I were to have this open conversation with her today, and today we do have a, um, a relationship that is good, it is not great, and it is not terrible. It is somewhere in the middle. And I know now, again, at, you know, after 42 years of learning about this woman, I know how to keep the peace for the most part. I've always been an advocate. I've always been someone who speaks their mind and oftentimes speaks without a filter. And so um, that was not often met with grace or kindness or an open mind in my home. Um, And so there was a lot of pain and grief and isolation. I was born with a hole in my heart. And I've always said that even though that hole closed up, that space and that emptiness from that hole remains. When I was a young girl, maybe no more than six years old, I remember lying in bed and begging God and my concept of God, of course, being the male bearded man in the sky, uh, was, why am I here? I'm so lonely. I don't want to be here. I want to die. Please take me. And sometimes I would leave a note under my pillow that said, Dear God, if you exist, then you'll respond to this letter and you'll come and get me from this situation. And surely the divine in some way probably did respond but as a young girl, I, I, didn't, I don't have any memory of a response, nor do I know that I would have had the capacity to understand the magnitude of a response at that time. I will say, though, that the grace came in and through growing up for the first seven years next door to my grandparents. My grandparents were my stability, they were my safety, my normalcy, and my home. And by all rights, I could say that they were my parents. And my grandmother and I were inseparable. We were extremely close. My grandmother was so enamored with me and beyond joyful at my birth that she actually is the one that named me and she told my mother I don't care what you call her I'm calling her Amy I don't care what you name her I'm calling her Amy so I was named by my grandmother even and so at seven my mother met a man and we moved we uprooted from Pasadena which is where I'm from Pasadena California and we moved to Orange County, California, which um, was shocking, lonely, and 
given the circumstances of already the grief that comes from the alcoholic home, um, the the magnitude of that isolation and loneliness increased tenfold. And so uh, by that time, my mother was pregnant with another child, my sister, whom I am... uh, I am enamored with. She is my one of my best friends and my closest sibling. And then two years after her, 18 months rather, came our younger brother, whom was a light in our worlds. We, we just adore him. And so having to navigate a relationship with my mother without my grandmother was one in which I could easily say um, caused different parts of my personality to come out and different survival mechanisms, different, um, you know, I hesitate to call them entities or personalities, but just these fragments of myself that came out to survive the situation. Uh, My siblings and I also have an older sibling we're a bit estranged from. And so it was sort of the three of us, myself and my younger sister and brother, navigating the waters together. But I had had these seven years with my grandparents and with my grandmother in particular. And so I knew what love was and what it felt like. And... I did my best as a young child of seven and eight, nine and ten, you know, when my sister was born and then when my brother was born, to bestow upon them that same love and consistency that I had experienced as a young girl with my grandmother. That being said, however, there was always this enormous presence in the room and that was my mother's alcoholism and she was volatile she was unknown there were times when the alcoholic that came out was loving and generous and kind and weepy and full of dreams And there was other times when there was a violent and volatile and angry, impatient creature um, that reared its head. And so there was a lot of crying, a lot of grief, and a lot of love between my my younger siblings and I, we really stuck together to survive. And we really figured out a way to create a family amongst the three of us. Um, during this time, however, and of course, you know, as I got older, going through adolescence and really just trying to explore myself and my sexuality and my personality and who was I? What was I into? What kind of music did I like? Um, I was exploring vegetarianism. I was exploring different belief systems. Through all this time, the, the, the child in me 
the daughter in me, the little girl, was yearning, yearning for a mother. And though I kept very close relations with my grandmother, she was an hour away and I couldn't drive. And, you know, it was like I, I had to figure out how to be my mother's daughter in these circumstances. And so I did the best I could. I really did. And I also did the best I could to speak my truth. And it was not often received well. But I still spoke up and I still spoke out. And that's <laughs> it's probably a great quality today and sometimes needs a filter. But I do feel like... Um, talking about things and speaking our truth is important and truly has led me here to this podcast. When, when I was a little girl, I wrote quite a bit and I am a writer today. I still write, but I would write all of these stories as a young girl and my grandmother would say, your mother's so funny you're so funny and you have the gift of writing and the gift of communication. You should write a book. And I would just love to have her hear one of my interviews and one of my stories today. My grandmother is no longer alive, but I'm just curious to, to see, hear what she would say and say, well, Grandma, I didn't exactly write a book, but here it is. <laughs> you know, here's the book that I'm writing with my voice. And so anyway, going back to the ritual part of what I would witness, as I got older and I started to understand my grandmother more, it helped me to truly understand my mother more. My mother and my grandmother had an extremely difficult relationship up until my grandmother's death. And... I never really could understand it and truly you know there's a saying that that parents have their own world and their own lives before their children came along and it's nothing that we could ever under truly truly understand and so I have to remember that that my mother my mother had her own world and her own life with her mother my grandmother and I will never fully or truly understand it. And though I have many a times asked my mother and had conversation about her childhood and her upbringing, which by all rights was truly difficult, truly traumatic. And, and during the times and the eras in which my grandmother and mother grew up in, it was you know, quite difficult on women to say the least. I, I see that at the end of it all is also my mother's inner child and my mother's little girl, the daughter that craved and longed for a mother. And I guess when I think of her in the bathtub in those watery, elements of the womb and in that safe and sacred space I see that that little girl and that daughter 
was caring for herself and loving herself and showing herself an act of of self-care that on a regular basis she was not able to do. And it was during those times that I could access her and I could see her vulnerability and I could see the little girl and I could feel here is another soul, here is another human being trying to survive earth, trying to survive life and doing the best that they can. And so in the shower that day when I had this divine calling and intervention into my life and my own healing process, it was so clear to me that it was of the utmost importance to connect with other women through this form and this vessel and to create sacred space for women to share their stories and their mother's acts of ritual and self-care. And I will say I've had many women come to me and say, this feels difficult, this feels hard, I have nothing good to say about my mother, I don't know what to talk about, I can't think of anything. And I say, this is a healing project, and this is an opportunity to dig deep, to dive down into those murky waters and pull up the pearl. And it can be so simple. It can be so simple. I cannot think of another word. My experience of sitting in that bathroom with my mother, I would watch her shave her legs as an example. And my mother's tall. She's about 5'9". And she had has these beautiful long legs. And I remember watching her shave her legs and thinking, I hope that my legs are as beautiful as hers when I'm older. They were just gorgeous. And I actually took after my father's side of the family, and they're a bit on the shorter side, so I do not have my mother's height. But I do hope (laughs) I have her beautiful legs, even if they're not quite as long as hers and um, I definitely have an essence of her sense of humor and like I said my mother is still alive and if the if the space and in our healing journey it presents itself I would love to interview my mother for this project yet I know even today when she talks about my grandmother the pain And the wound is still so deep that it could be a very difficult conversation. And so in that, I invite you to find this space and to know that it's safe. And this is a place to share your story. It is a place to share that ritual, to share that act of self-care and to share your grief and your heartache and your healing. Thank you so much for listening to my story. 
Again, I'm your host, Amy Jones, and I thank you so much for sharing your time with me by listening to Rituals of Our Mothers. Thank you for listening to Rituals of Our Mothers. Again, I'm your host, Amy Jones, and I encourage and invite you to share your story. If you'd like to be interviewed, please direct message me on Instagram at Rituals of Our Mothers, and we'll speak soon. Ciao. Thank you.